Hi, I'm Adam Burton, the pastor at Central Baptist Church. Thank you for checking out this sermon. I pray that it encourages you and helps you to grow closer to Jesus. While as grateful as I am for you, please don't allow this message to keep you from connecting with a local church. If you're in our area, we would love for you to check us out at Central Baptist Church. God bless. What is needed for a meaningful life? Is it good health? Maybe secure finances, a, a, a profitable career, or maybe the, the family that everybody dreams of. You know, these past two years have really challenged many of the things that, that give us meaning. Our health's been threatened by the coronavirus. Our finances are threatened by inflation. Careers are threatened by the shutting down of businesses and the and the volatility in the business community. Families are threatened by political division. The American Bible Society recently released a portion of, uh, of their annual State of the Bible report for 2022, a survey they do every, every year. And this year, they, they, they asked whether or not that an individual disagreed or agreed with this following statement, that the Bible contains everything a person needs to know to live a meaningful life. As you can see from the the graph on the screen, that 49%, almost half of the country of adults, agreed. You see, 31% of them disagreed. However, in this study, they boiled it down, even got even more into the, the numbers, dividing people up in different generations. And as you can see now that uh, the Bible contains everything they need to know. The Generation Z and the Millennials may not know what those are, but those are the younger adults. Uh, only 41% of them would agree with that statement, whereas of the elders, figure out who you are, 70% of the elders agreed with that statement. But if we compare the answer to that question from 2020, before the pandemic began, to, to 2022, we see a stark difference. 2020, 68% of Americans, adults, said that they believe that the Bible contains everything that a person needs to know how to live a meaningful life. And yet in 2022, there's an 18% or a 19% drop in that faith in just two years. See, the pandemic has, has changed really how, how people view what gives them meaning. The survey also asked the question, he said, why do you read the Bible? Just trying to figure out people's motivations. And the number one reason, which would make sense, is that it brings me closer to God. That's, we would hope that that was the case. And uh, 41% answered that question. But Another question was, it helps me to discern God's will. When you asked the Generation Z, our youngest adults, whether or not they read the Bible because it helps them to discern God's will, only 1% of them answered that question affirmatively. But the number two reason that those that read the Bible in Generation Z answered was because they needed comfort. 
be honest, after what we've gone through over these last two years, we all need comfort. <laughs> and especially our young people. But if we aren't finding comfort in the Bible and its teachings, then where are we finding it? People are searching. They're searching for comfort, but they, they just don't receive it. Let's face it, we got a war in Europe. High inflation with the possibility of a recession and this political unrest as we enter into another election day. But although we are separated by some 2,000 years, I cannot think of a better time for us to study Paul's letter to the Colossians than right now. This letter, it gives us comfort in knowing that Hope is not left up to us, but it solely depends upon what Jesus accomplished through his death and his resurrection. The key verse in this letter is Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. And over our study in this uh, passage or in this book, I want us to memorize this uh, verse. For if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated on the right hand of God. We've got weeks to, uh, to work on this, to get, it, uh, to get it memorized. If you have your Bibles, they'll turn in this morning to the book of Colossians, chapter 1. Colossians, chapter 1. This letter was uh, written around A.D. 62 about 30 years after the death of of Jesus Christ and his resurrection, after Pentecost. And and at this point in history, the Apostle Paul is in Rome under house arrest. And he wrote this letter in response to a visit by by one of his missionaries, one of his protégés, who was concerned about a false teaching that was taking place in the rural town of Colossae. Now, this map shows kind of hard. It's a little bit difficult to, to see here, but Colossae is there in what's known as the, the Lycus Valley in modern-day Turkey. It's about 100 miles to the east of the town of Ephesus. And it's about 10 miles a little southeast of Laodicea, which you may be familiar with from the book of Revelation. But an early historian called Colossae a an insignificant and a small town. Today, there's nothing there. Whereas most of the towns and those around it and in most of the Middle East, have archaeologists have gone and excavated to, to see the remains. Nobody is touched. Laodicea, you just see a mound there. So the fact that Paul wrote this letter while he was in prison, shows us the love that he has for the small and the insignificant towns. The title of this message is the United in Christ, One Family. We're going to see this play out in, in three different ways this morning. First, we're going to see that, that there is a unity in Christ. There is a unity in Christ. Read with me here, verses 1 and 2 of Colossians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints 
and to the faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. You may remember that when Paul was arrested, when he was in Caesarea, he was brought before the governor Festus. And and well, because Paul is both a, a Jew and a Roman citizen, he appealed his citizenship to have his case heard by Caesar. But in order for that to be heard by Caesar, he had to travel from from where he was, Jerusalem to, or Caesarea to, to Rome, quite a long distance. So while he was there in Rome, he was placed under house arrest. He had a guard soldier with him at all times. He was unable to leave his home, but he was able to receive guests. And we know in these, just these two verses here, that one of those guests was, was Timothy. And Paul emphasizes in this verse here that he is an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Now, Paul started many churches, but he, he did not start the church in Colossae. He, it was started by a man named Epaphras, who was saved when Paul was, started the church in Ephesus. It's likely that Paul had never even visited Colossae before. But this Christian church was threatened by a, a mixture of, uh, of different false teachings, including things like Gnosticism and Eastern mysticism and Judaism combined with Christianity to make a, a mess of, of teaching. They really didn't know what to believe. It was kind of the thing, well, you just kind of believe whatever you want to believe and things will be okay, kind of like today. But Paul wanted the church to, to, to know that they can trust his teaching based on his authority, not as somebody that they've been around and visited with and saw him and teach firsthand, but based on his authority as an apostle of Jesus Christ. But although Paul is an apostle, look at the familial language that he uses in this greeting. He says, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ. To the faithful brothers in Christ. You see, Jesus unites us together in the family of God. See, Paul considers himself as a brother in Christ to these Christians that, that he has never met. But this false teaching crept into the Colossian church. And be honest, we need to be on guard against the pain. This microphone's going to drive me crazy. See how if I loosen it up a bit, if that doesn't help. You know, there's a popular saying around that, you know, that all of us, the whole world, we are all God's children. And it sounds nice. It sounds caring, compassionate, and it almost sounds biblical. True that the Bible does teach that we are all made in God's image. The Bible also teaches that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Yet the Bible never says that we are all God's children. In fact, it says the opposite. Look at 
Paul's teaching in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3. It says, Among whom we all once lived in the passions of the flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Now it does. It sounds loving and caring to say we're all God's children, but, but if we misquote Scripture, we water down the faith to give people a false hope that they are part of the family of God apart from salvation through Christ alone? Well, friends, that's not compassionate at all. See, the beauty of the gospel, though, is that that God sent his only son to to die on the cross for for his enemies, not for those who liked him, See, when we put our faith in trust in, in, in Jesus Christ, we, we cross over from being enemies of God to, to being a children of God. That's why we require you to be a baptized believer in order to be a member of our church. It's not that we, we think that we're better than some other people or that, that, that uh, you know what, that it's some type of exclusive club. No, the good news is, is that anybody can be adopted into God's family. All you have to do is put your faith in Jesus. But you cannot be part of the family of God without believing the gospel. And for those of us that are saved, uh, we are united with all the saints who have gone before us. And for those that we have never met on earth. You know, I've shared how different that India is from uh, America. And it is. It is about as different as I could imagine different could be. But last month when I was with Pastor Prince and his family, I felt at home, even though things were incredibly different. I felt like I was a part of their family. And when I was baptizing new believers on the roof of the church, I I said that it was my honor and privilege to baptize my sister and my brother in the name of the Father, the Son, and the the Holy Spirit. They didn't understand the words that I was speaking. I spoke English, and I couldn't understand them. They spoke Hindi, but, but we are family. For we are united in Christ. Secondly, you see, the foundations of a Christian in this passage, the, the foundations of, of a Christian, read with me, picking up here in verse 3. It says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope you laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you. Paul is writing this letter to rebuke the church, this false teaching that is there. But but he doesn't start his letter with condemnation or or correction. No, he starts it the way that he does with most of his letters, 
with a prayer of thanksgiving. And in this prayer, he offers three identifying marks of of a Christian. We see faith, hope, or I'm sorry, faith, love, and hope, which looks very familiar to what we see here on the screen in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, right? The love chapter. So now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. But in this passage, we, we see that the, the order is a little bit different. Um, we see here, let me get it on the, on the screen. It says, since we heard the faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for the saints and the hope laid up for you in heaven. We see faith, love, and hope. These three are the foundations of a Christian, but the order that Paul uses here is important. The first we see is faith. Faith is the foundation of of a Christian. It is the foundation of what we believe, who we are, but everybody has faith, believers and unbelievers. At the beginning of the season, I had faith that the Reds were going to make it to the playoffs. The man who goes to the convenience store and and gives the cashier his lucky numbers has faith that he's going to win the Powerball. That woman has faith that if she works hard enough to be the best person that she can be, that maybe she will earn God's favor and he'll let her into heaven. See, real faith is only found in Jesus Christ, in his death and resurrection. See, the world is wanting comfort. Yet faith in anything but in Jesus only brings anxiety and disappointment. Secondly, we see love. Now, love is an expression of our faith. Look at how Paul explains in his book to the Galatians. He says, For Christ, in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, normal human effort and works. But he says, But only what faith working through love. See, when the New Testament speaks about believers loving one another, most of the time it's not speaking about how Christians are to love the world, although we are. No, it's really directing Christians to love other Christians. Now, wouldn't you think that the church would be the most loving place? But sadly, that wasn't the case in the first century church, and it's not the case today. Now, many churches are known for their division and backbiting and gossip. And we can be so selfish looking for somebody to to blame when we don't get things the way that we want them. Mark Twain said that, that he is good. He's a good man in the worst sort of way. May that not be said of you or me. See, when we have faith in Christ, but are not loving, then we do harm to the family of God. 
See, it's our love for other Christians. It's a sign of true faith. So faith, love, and lastly, of hope. See, a Christian's hope is not rooted or it's rooted in our faith in Christ, our love for the saints, and the hope for us in heaven. I like how Pastor Kent Hughes puts it. He says this, that hope is placed last because in this instance, Paul saw faith and love as springing from it. Do you know what it's like to have no hope? The Colossians were once hopeless. They were pagans offering sacrifices to these these pagan gods. And then a missionary named Epaphras comes and he shares the gospel with them. They go from hopeless to hopeful. See, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. It's on Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Oh, all other ground is sinking sand. And speaking of the resurrection, the Apostle Paul writes to the Corinthians, and he says that if in Christ we have hope in this life only, oh, then we are of all people most to be pitied. Fall break last week, we uh, snuck away for a a day to go to the the Great Wolf Lodge. One of Jess's uh, college friends was there with her her children, and they were kind of catching up. The kids were playing it, and I I snuck away to the hot tub for a few minutes. And while I was sitting there, an older gentleman was was there next to me, and come to find out he was there with his kids and his his grandkids. And he looked over, and and he saw that I had a a, a cross necklace on that I I wear under my my shirt. And and he asked me if, if I was a believer. I said, sure, I was, but I, I didn't really let on that I'm a pastor or minister. Uh, but he started, we start talking back and forth about faith and about the church. And, and then he transitions into how bad the world is, how evil the, the politicians are, how godless our schools are. I, and he said that we all need to get ready because the end is near. And we're going to see it in our own lifetime. I mean, you've been around the tide before. But then he asked me if, if I had kids. I said, I wouldn't be at the Great Wolf Lodge if I didn't have kids. <laughs> but, but in fact, I had two, I told him. Then he looks at me with all seriousness. And he said, did you ever consider what kind of world that you are bringing these kids into? I was taken aback. I really couldn't believe that what he just said, especially as a professed believer. On one hand, hearing it all, I was shocked and really wanted to punch him in the face. <laughs> but on the other hand, I... I know where he's coming from. I've had moments of doubt and despair, especially over these last two years. I mean, can things get any 
worse? Oh, they can. How much longer do we have to endure this? Man, is this what life is going to be like from now on? Some of you may have had those same thoughts. But then I think, how sweet to hold a newborn baby and feel the love and the joy that he brings. But greater still is that calm assurance. For this child can face uncertain days. Why? Because he lives. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he he holds the future. Friends, life is worth a living just because he lives. See, the hope is laid up for you in heaven, and that is why we can bring and we should bring children into this uncertain world. It's why we can face tomorrow. It is why all fear is gone. It is why this life is worth living even when you don't feel like it is. All because he lives. Faith, love, and hope. The foundations of a Christian. So we see the unity we have in Christ, the the foundation of a Christian. And lastly, we see the call to go. Look here, verses 6 through 8. Paul says this, he says, Which has come to you as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and he has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Paul is probably the greatest missionary in the history of the church. He wrote most of the New Testament. But look at what he says here in verse 6. He says that the whole world is bearing fruit, and it is increasing. See, in just a few short years, the gospel spread the entire known world. And much of this is because of Paul's journeys. But Paul did not, nor could he, have done it alone. See, he planted the church in Ephesus. He trained up men, including Epaphras and Philemon, and he sent them to go and to plant a church in Colossae. And Epaphras loved the believers enough to to seek counsel from Paul on this serious matter. Without paying close attention, though, it's easy for us to pass over the the great difficulty and and, and, and length that, that Epaphras traveled because he cared for his church family. See, Epaphras was in Colossae. Paul was in Rome. Now you can just imagine Turkey to Italy. In fact, the distance as the crow flies is about 1,000 miles. 
This was long before airplanes and automobiles. Odds are, Epaphras walked 1,000 miles to go to Rome. And not only that, where was Paul in Rome? He was under arrest in prison. Epaphras wasn't going into the most safe of situations. He too might be captured by the Roman authorities. But Epaphras risked a lot. Why? Because of his faith, love, and hope. You know, when I got back from India last month, the two most common questions that I received from, from people asked is, how hard was it to, to fly that far? And the other one was, did you feel safe? <laughs> now, I can tell you, I've done more fun things than flying 8,000 miles to the other side of the, of the world. But I can't really say that it was hard. Maybe you should ask the pilot when doing the flying of the plane. I was just sitting back and watching Netflix and eating. But And my hosts, while we were there, they took every precaution to make sure that we were safe. In fact, they endured greater risk than I did because of having me there. And we see here that Paul is thanking God that the gospel had made its way across the world. Today, when you read the study of the American Bible Society about Bible engagement, it's pretty disheartening. There's no doubt that Christianity is in decline in the West. But I wonder, I wonder if that's because each generation is less and less willing to risk for the gospel. I'm not saying that everybody needs to get on a plane and go to India, although I do believe there are people that in this church that probably should go with me next time to India. But as we close this morning, I want you to think about this question. What are you willing to risk for the gospel? We can risk everything. Why? Because honestly, it's nothing really that we are risking. For as we're going to see throughout this letter, <laughs> that it is what Christ risked, what he paid on the cross for our sins. And because of that, through our unity of the believers, our foundation of faith, love, and hope, we are called to and we should not fear to go, whether that's into the most dangerous jungles of the world or to the neighbor across the street, to that family member that you just don't know if they're going to be receptive. What are you willing to risk for the gospel? Thank you for listening to this message. To listen to other messages and to learn more about Central Baptist Church, visit our website at cbcmaysville.com.